Welcome, everybody. Back to Keyboard Kimura. I am E. Spencer Kite, your friendly neighborhood Spencer man, here on Wednesday, May 10th, with another edition of One Question for Every Fight. This week, we are looking at UFC Charlotte, UFC on ABC4, a nice early morning start time for me out here on the West Coast. Coffee and face punching on Saturday morning with a, I really like this fight card, with a main card that is is well-suited for this type of event, a show on ABC. On In the afternoon, everybody can get up, can get this in, and still have time to go about their day. Headlined by Jarzinho Rosenstrike and Jailton Almeida. And that's where we begin with the question, will Almeida just keep charging ahead? It's impossible not to have been impressed with what we've seen from Jailton Almeida so far this in so far in his UFC career. Comes off of the contender series where he is a slight underdog in that fight to Nasruddin Nasruddinov. Goes out, dominates him, gets a contract. Comes into the UFC. Dominates Danilo Marquez right out of the gate at light heavyweight. Then decides, I'm just going to go up and, and fight it at heavyweight. He has a fight with Max Grishin canceled, which was going to be at, at light heavyweight. So he takes a fight with Parker Porter, goes up to heavyweight, ragdolls the big man from Connecticut, beats Anton Turkai on short notice on that September UFC 279 card headlined originally by Nate Diaz and Hamza Chamayev. That all gets shifted around, obviously. And then starts this year with a win in Brazil over Shamil Abdurahimov. All of that happens in a 12-month span. His debut against Marquez is in February. The win over Abdurahimov is in January. So in his first 12 months, he goes 4-0 in the UFC, four finishes, puts himself into the rankings, and sort of on the radar as this guy to pay attention to and pay close attention to in the heavyweight division. And that sort of brings him to Saturday where he gets his first main event opportunity first fight against a top 10 opponent in Jarzinho Rosenstrike and for me it's a it's a really interesting matchup for for a few reasons first and foremost Jarzinho Rosenstrike was Jelton Almeida or a different version of Jelton Almeida a few years ago right comes into the UFC debuts in February with a win over Junior Albini beats Alan Crowder beats Andre Arlovsky and then closes out the year with that last second walk-off win over Alistair Overeem, I believe in Washington, D.C. So his first year in the UFC, he goes 4-0 with four finishes. The same as Almeida. And at that point, he was the, well, is this a guy that we need to, we need to pay attention to? Is this a guy that's going to be a contender? His next fight was against Francis Ngannou and it went very quickly the wrong way for him. And it's been a bit of a struggle, a bit inconsistent for Biggie Boy since, but that's against top competition. And that's the piece of this that's really intriguing to me, or or a piece of this that's really intriguing to me, is that it's all well and good to go out and dominate Parker Porter and Anton Turkai and even Shamil Abdurahimov, who sort of has always hung around the rankings, but hasn't been super active. If you look at the record in the UFC, it's a little suspect. It's another thing to do it against Rosenstrike and the guys in the top 10. And that's where Almeida will be if he gets a win here. He will be in the top 10. He will be facing that level of competition. Another piece of this that is really interesting to me that I'm curious to see on Saturday is just the clash of styles, right? Almeida is very much a grappler, 
Rosenstrike is obviously comes from a kickboxing background. He's been working on the full arsenal of the game. He's been trying to figure everything out, piece everything together, working with the crew at American Top Team. But this is a classic grappler versus striker, striker versus grappler. And we're going to see who's able to dictate the terms of engagement. If Almeida gets this into the clinch onto the ground, it's a wrap. Because as he told me Tuesday, he's more finish driven. He's more, yeah, finish driven, I think is what he said, than most other grapplers in this division. He's a guy that's going out there and he's not looking to just control your position and kind of grind out time. He's going out there looking for your neck and he's going out there looking to flatten you out and hit you with hammers. And it's really interesting to me because he's a guy that when he first went up in that fight with Turkai was a, at a catchweight of 220 because Turkai is, is a light heavyweight by trade. And so they kind of put a cap on things. But he's not a guy that's going to come in here on Friday and be 265, right? He's not that that kind of heavyweight. He's in that 230, 240 range, really well built, really strong, but still agile, athletic, dynamic. And I want to see if that can, can hold up in this day and age against some of the bigger, heavy hitters, well-rounded guys. I don't necessarily think that Rosenstrike is the guy to beat him, is the guy to get him. And that's going to come down to whether Biggie Boy can land some shots out of the gate, can be the guy dictating the terms, as I said earlier, coming forward, putting pressure on, on Almeida, things of that nature. But if he gets through this one, we're into the guys that might be able to do that. We're into the Alexander Volkovs, the Curtis Blades, the Tom Aspinall, as he gets back. And I know he's got a fight book. They announced that this morning for London against March and Tibora, which I think is a perfect fight for Tom to return to, but guys of that ilk, right? Serial gone somewhere down the line, perhaps those are going to be the real challenges, the real tests for Almeida, but he's got to get through this one on Saturday. I think he does, but I still need to see it. Right. If you've listened to me, watched me over the last year or years previous, you know, for me, it's all about, Give me the test, let me see the results, and I'll draw my conclusions from there. This is the next big test, or the first really big test, for Jelton Almeida, and I'm curious to see how it goes on Saturday. Co-main event takes place in the light heavyweight division, Anthony Smith and Johnny Walker. My question is, is Walker, is this resurgence real, or is it just more of what Johnny Walker did at the start of his career? So, I will take this opportunity as always, because I'm just a bit of a petty jerk like this to dunk on the people that at one point were like, man, Johnny Walker might be the guy to beat John Jones. It was just crazy talk. It was crazy talk at the time. It's crazy talk now. Fine. Whatever. He had three good wins to start his career. Best of which was over Misha Serkinov. Loses to Corey Anderson. It kind of spirals. It kind of becomes inconsistent. Whatever. Fine. Great. Here we are. Reset. He's now settled in Ireland, in Dublin, training at SBG under John Kavanaugh, working with that crew, happy in life in, in, in Ireland. He's got back-to-back good wins, defeating Iwan Kutilaba and Paul Craig. And now he gets Smith in an interesting position. And as much as 
some people may not be fond of Anthony Smith, may not think he's a real contender. He's at least a measuring stick in this division of those upper echelon guys. And I know that the upper echelon of light heavyweight is certainly not the same as the upper echelon at lightweight or bantamweight or welterweight, but you can only work with what you got. And so this is a test for Walker to see if he's truly figuring some stuff out and putting pieces together in a way that he's going to be able to parlay this into taking that step that he never took at the start of his career. That was sort of just expected of him. And then he never got there. Smith is returning. It's awful loss to uh, Megamed Ankhlaev, where he also suffered an ankle injury. He's been off for a little bit now. And so this is an intriguing fight for him as well, because Johnny Walker presents some problems, obviously, with his length, with his striking, with his power. But for me, it's more the Walker side that I'm interested in. I think we hit a point after the Jamal Hill loss and going into that fight with Kutilava, which was also on that UFC 279 card last September, where he was kind of devalued to the point that I know he was the underdog in that fight because I cashed some tickets. And I just want to see if all of the stuff we've seen over these last couple fights, this ability to be just a little bit smarter, a little bit more sound decision-making is real or just a result of who he was facing. Because Anthony Smith is one of these guys that isn't going to go out here and make a whole bunch of mistakes for you to capitalize on. You've got to go out and beat Anthony Smith. He doesn't let you win. And I'm not saying that Paul Craig does, and I'm not saying that Iwan Kutalaba did either, but they are both limited in what they can do, right? Paul Craig needs you to be on the ground with him in order for him to get a victory and defeat you. It has to go a certain way. Anthony Smith can hang with you wherever you want to go. And so if you're Johnny Walker and this is real, you go out there and you get a victory on Saturday and we come away going, okay, maybe this is, maybe now's the time to start talking about him as a potential top five guy, not the over anxious version we did, you know, several years ago when it was wild. Next up, welterweight division, Daniel Rodriguez and Ian Machado, Gary. And I want to see if Ian Machado Gary is ready for this level of competition. I've been as, as high and as interested in Ian Gary as just about everybody. I would say my colleagues at Severe MMA, my friends at Severe MMA, probably higher than most with obvious reason. Obvious reason. The 25-year-old is 11-0 overall. He's 4-0 in the UFC. He's coming off a great performance overall last time out against Song Kinan where he got a third-round stoppage win. However, he was dropped in the first round. Now, the positive spin of that, the finding a good out of that situation, is that he dealt with it really well in the moment. With, within that instance of getting knocked down, he did all the right things. And then through the rest of the fight, he rallied and regained control and momentum. Even before that round was out, he was coming back on. Those are important things. Those are elements that often define the difference between a good fighter and a great fighter and a great fighter and a champion. So those were positives to see. The tricky part or the analysis part here for me and why I'm so fascinated by this fight on Saturday is that Song was four and two in the UFC going into that fight. He hadn't fought 
since March 2021. And those four wins came over Bobby Nash, Hector Aldana, Derek Krantz, and Callan Potter, who were a combined one in 10 in the UFC. And so this isn't me trying to dump on Ian Machado Gary. This isn't me trying to take anything away from that performance. It was a very good performance overall. But this is a step up in competition and a significant one at that because Daniel Rodriguez is a grown-ass man. He's 7-2 and two in the UFC. He's fundamentally sharp. He's got a little bit of pop. He's the kind of guy that you're not going to go out there and just play around with, right? Kevin Lee had that situation a few fights back for Kevin Lee, a few fights back for Daniel Rodriguez, where G-Rod takes the fight on short notice and Kevin Lee thinks he can go out there and just, oh, I can style on this guy. I'm the better athlete. I'm younger. I'm quicker. I'm whatever. Didn't work out that way. This is the next test for Ian Machado Gary. It is an important test for the young Irishman. And I just am really curious to see how he does on Saturday. It's a big spot. It's on ABC. He's one of the most important features of this card. I would say outside of the main event, he is the person most serious fans are tuning in to see. And so this is where we see where he's at in his development. This is where we see what's been going on in the gym and how good he is right now and a little bit of how good he might be going forward. We go back to the light heavyweight division, Carlos Alberg and Ihor Patoria. My question for this one is how much more development do we see from Carlos Alberg, who through the last three fights has shown a great deal of development, comes into the UFC off contender series as sort of this heralded member of the city kickboxing team. He's on a fight card alongside his teammate, Israel Adesonia, and he goes out against Kennedy and Zechiku and he throws everything, including the kitchen sink at Kennedy in the first and early part of the second round and can't get him out of there. Then gets overwhelmed himself, gets stopped himself. Second round finish for Kennedy. Away we go. Since then, Carlos Alberg has really started dialing things in. And it's been it's been really impressive to see, truthfully. The first win is a unanimous decision against Fabio Charant, where it honestly felt, watching it at the time, and especially now in, in retrospect, that it was, let me just go out here and get 15 minutes in the octagon, which is a thing that myself, that Harry, that Sean, that Ian, we all talk about all the time. It's important. Like, there's no substitute for real, genuine experience. And for a guy like Alberg, regardless of whatever success he had in kickboxing, regardless of whatever room he trains in to prepare, there's nothing that is going to help you level up and learn more than being in the octagon for an extended period of time. Some of the worst things that can happen for young fighters or developing fighters is those quick early finishes. Because then you just think, well, this is easy. And you don't have to learn anything. You don't have to go through anything. It's why Ian Gary going through that first round with Song Kinan last time out is, is vital to his future development. Last time out, Alberg looked outstanding against Nick Negramariano. It was the most patient, poised, stick to my fundamentals, know that I can beat this guy using just the advantages that I have, that I'm the more technical guy. I can work behind a jab. I can use my length and I'll get him out of here. And that's exactly what happened. It was a beautiful performance. 
He gets Poteria on Saturday, who is the gentleman everybody will remember defeated Shogun Hua earlier this year, and then still did his celebration. Everybody got up in arms in that. It was kind of, you know, a little bit off-putting. And he said afterwards, like, listen, it's I respect him. I still want to do my thing. Whatever. Fine. I think everybody is watching this fight to see if this dude can get got. And I think Carlos Alberg should have a pretty good opportunity to do that because Poteria is hittable. He's game for a scrap. He's one of these guys that just likes to kind of get in there and mix it up. He's not fundamentally sound. He's not a guy that's going to come in here and, and just really technical you to death. And so for Alberg and the city crew, as you come in, patience, fundamentals, stick to the basics. You can get a fourth straight win. And at light heavyweight, a four straight win carries you, if not into the rankings, right up to the fringes of them. And if he keeps developing like this, if this becomes a concurrent thing where each fight on top of each fight, we're seeing these improvements, Black Jag can become somebody that you don't want to mess around with at 205. Next up, we go to the welterweight division, Alex Morono and Tim, the dirty bird memes. And my question is, why don't people appreciate fights like this more? And I need you to indulge me for a moment because this is me, I guess, getting onto my soapbox. I know they're not contenders. Not now, not in the past, not in the future. But they're two veteran guys who have been key pieces of this division for the last several years. They're the entrance exam, the litmus test, the measuring stick for all these different athletes. They're always in entertaining fights when they're on the card separately against somebody. And we want to see them against that person because it's, oh, they're trying to pass the Alex Morono test or the Tim Means test. We're excited. But now that they're here together, it feels like there's a bit of a meh reaction about this. And I just don't get it. Because it's a fun scrap to kick off the main card on a Saturday morning, afternoon, depending on which time zone you're in. It's guaranteed to be a fun fight. Like these two dudes are allergic to boring fights. For me, it feels like these, these kinds of fighters are the guys that have been lost in the shuffle a little bit. So when everybody does the nostalgia of man, I wish it was like the old days when I knew everybody on the card and I cared about every fight. A lot of those fight cards featured guys like this. Guys that were just journeyman fighters that you saw compete four, five, eight, 10, 12 times, whatever it is that you enjoyed because you knew them and you knew what you were going to get. And now that we are in 2023 and we get 42 fight cards a year and there are a bunch of these guys suddenly nobody seems to care about them or very few people seem to care about them or get excited about these fights. And it just doesn't make sense to me. I just want to try to understand as with the pod on Monday, help me understand, explain it to me like I'm five years old because this is going to be fun. This is going to be an enjoyable, enjoyable fight. Does it carry stakes? Does it have the, the weight and the importance as a championship fighter contenders, no. This is a couple of four starters going out to take them out on a Saturday afternoon. They're not the main attraction. You're here for the big names on the roster, whatever. 
but they're not going to ruin things. It's not going to be a terrible day because Alex Morono and Tim Means are here. It's going to be a pretty good day. And I wish fighters like this got their flowers more often. Head to the prelims, but stay in the welterweight division, Matt Brown and Court McGee. And I want to know if this is the end of the line for one of or both of these men. As always, I don't say that lightly. I don't say that trying to hustle either of these men out of the door. But I'll probably add a little change to that towards the end here. Matt Brown is 42 years old. He is one in three in his last four, four and eight in his last 12, which stretches all the way back to that really good run where he then lost to Robbie Lawler on Fox. He's no longer as durable or as dangerous as he once was. He's fighting once, maybe twice a year at max. That's Matt Brown. Court McGee is 38. He's coming off the first full-on knocked out KO loss of his career. He's two and four in his last six, three and six in his last eight, and only seven and eight since moving to welterweight, which was years ago. Neither man has anything left to prove. Court McGee won the ultimate fighter. Amazing story. Uh, overcoming addiction, celebrated his sober anniversary a month ago. Congratulations, my brother. I appreciate you. I love you. Matt Brown, great career coming off of the ultimate fighter season seven as well. A guy that just worked himself into being a fixture in this division, right? Had that point where he was probably on the way out and then went on a run. And it's been really, it was really fun to see. But like, is this a case of two guys that just don't have people in their corner that are saying, you know, man, maybe it's time. Like, is there, is there just like, I think each of them have other things going on. I know Matt has a gym. I know court has partial ownership in a gym. Both have families. I just wonder, and I'm certainly biased here. And, and this is, I said earlier, I'll probably amend this a little bit. I'm certainly biased here. Cause I have a long-term long-standing relationship with court McGee. I don't want to see my friend hurt. It was, it was difficult watching his fight against Jeremiah Wells last time out and seeing a guy I have spent countless hours on the phone with over the years, talking to both about career and, and life in general, go out and get hurt like that. Cause that was always the thing, right? He was never a guy that went out like that. Tough durability was his, was his trademark, was his hallmark. And so I just, I hope this is akin to Matt Brown's fight with Brian Barberina last year. A good, fun, competitive scrap between two veteran guys where at the end of it, nobody's in a really bad spot. Nobody gets put out. And we can all go home and say, okay, I think maybe we're done. And again, I, I never want to be the person advocating for this person should retire. These are grown men surrounded by friends and family that can help them make these decisions. It's not on, they don't need to listen to E. Spencer Kite doing a podcast, doing a video on YouTube. But I hope as someone that covers this sport, has watched both of their careers, enjoyed both of their careers, and has a relationship with Court McGee, that they both come out of this okay. And that after this one, they sit down and, and re continue to reassess. That's all. Just continue to reassess each time out. Figure it out. 
We'll see where it goes. I hope this is a fun fight and I hope everybody comes out of it. All right. Move back to the heavyweight division. Carl Williams and Chase Sherman rescheduled from a couple months ago. And my question is, what can Williams show us here? Now, let me preface this by saying a win over Chase Sherman doesn't mean anything because Chase Sherman is two and five since coming back to the UFC. Uh, One and five over his last six after getting that return win against Ike Villanueva and four and 10 overall in the UFC. This is a, this is about as low of a victory you can get in terms of significance. Williams won his debut against Wukash Dreschke uh, in March. Now gets Sherman. They were going to do it on short notice. Sherman got sick. It got pushed back. Here we are. Again, I don't think this fight necessarily tells us a great deal in terms of like, oh my God, we really got to overreact or we really have to react if Carl Williams has a great performance. But as a newer addition to the heavyweight division, he's 33 years old. He's shown some athleticism, shown some wrestling. This is just that spot where it's like, okay, this the reason I'm interested in this is because if you don't look great against Chase Sherman, I can make some assessments, right? Like this is going out and looking great on Saturday for Carl Williams doesn't necessarily mean anything in terms of projecting a great big future for him. But going out and not looking good does. And that's why I'm interested. That's why I'm curious. This is one of those fights where it's like, okay, you should smash this dude. He's available to be beaten. Come and show me what you can do. If this turns into a slog, if this turns into 15 minutes of really hard work, that tells me where the ceiling sits for Carl Williams. We move to the bantamweight division, Cody Stamen and Douglas Silva. And my question is, can Stamen be the new Rafael Asensal? So Stamen is 7-4-1 in the UFC in 12 fights. His wins include Tom Dukanwa. Remember the fire kid? Brian, <laughs> Brian Carraway, Alejandro Perez, Brian Boom Kelleher, and Luan Lacerda last time out in Brazil started the year. His losses, Aljamain Sterling, Jimmy Rivera, Marab Dwalishvili, and Said Nurmagomedov. And the draw is against Song Yudong. So all the losses are to top 15 talents, including the champ, arguably the number one contender in Marab, a guy that's still on the rise in Said, and Jimmy Rivera, who was a fixture in the top 10 for a long, long time. He is a pretty standard, Stamen is a pretty standard boxer wrestler type guy, right? Just nothing flashy, nothing crazy that's going to come out and wow you. Works behind a jab, a little bit of pop, a little bit of grind, a little bit of wrestling. But there's some utility in that. And and he's only been beaten by these top 15 guys and these top 10 guys for that matter. And a lot of people thought he won that fight with Song Yudong. And there was a point deduction in there, I believe, that added to the murkiness. We need guys like this. Like he's only 33 years old. It's not like he's at the end of his line. Asin Sao departed earlier this year after the loss to Davy Grant. They were teammates, training partners to an extent at Extreme Couture when, when Hoffa was up to get ready for camps. He's just a good, solid, well-rounded veteran guy. And in a, in a division like this, that we talk about all the time about the young ascending talent that's coming up the ranks. You need guys like this. You need Cody Stamens. And I want to see if he can go out, get a victory, make it three straight on Saturday and sort of solidify himself as I'm the guy you got to get through to get into the top 15. 
And if I win enough of them, I get back into the top 15 and then I start taking on some more established names. Cause that feels like what's at stake here. That feels like what's in front of Cody statement. Douglas Silva is not an easy out. He is a dangerous bit of a lunatic. As Harry would say, he's a mad bastard. It's going to be a wild fight. It should be fun. Somebody might get knocked out, but there's, there's intrigue to this to me because we're going to see Cody Stamen potentially against some of these young talents that we're all excited about at Bantamweight. And so I want to see what he can show on Saturday to make those future fights even more compelling. Move to the lightweight division, Natan Levy, Pete Rodriguez. My question is, what can Rodriguez show in his first real UFC fight? I know you're looking at his record and being like, but Spencer, he's had two fights already. The first one was on short notice against Jack Della Maddalena. You get a pass for that. He took the fight on three or four days notice last January, got lit all the way up like a Christmas tree. I'm not holding that one against you. The second one, last time out, was against Mike the Truth Jackson. That That's not a real fight. It's just not. I'm sorry. It's it's just not. Congratulations on your victory. You handled business accordingly. You did what you needed to do, but it tells me zero. So now he gets Natan Levy. And at 26 years old, 5-1 overall, coming from the MMA lab, all finishes. This is, to me, the first chance to make a real read on what this guy brings to the table. He's moving down to lightweight, which feels like a better fit. He always looked a little undersized at welterweight. Natan Levy is good, but not great. Another guy that we haven't quite seen a lot from yet. Lost his debut to Rafa Garcia. Subsequently earned a pair of victories by decision. Just kind of grinding it out. Looks great getting off the bus, but hasn't looked great in the octagon yet. And so I'm just curious to see what Pete Rodriguez can do. Like, is it closer to the guy that got, I don't think it's closer to the guy that got freight trained by Jack Della because Della is clearly a top 15 guy and could be in the top 10 before, you know, the midway point of the year or just after the midway point of the year. But I also don't think he's as good as he looked against Mike Jackson. And so this is, this is where we find out. This is where we can set a baseline for who Pete Rodriguez is in the UFC. And I'm always for that. I'm always here for that. A couple fights to go. Gian Kim and Mandy Bohm. My question is, what's going to go wrong this time? And I say that I'm knocking on wood here in front of me because Gian Kim is 0-4 with seven fight cancellations or withdraws, like things not coming together for her since 2019. A couple of those decision losses, one is a split decision to Jocelyn Edwards that I thought she won. Another is a very close fight with Molly McCann. There's a close fight with Priscilla Cachuera in there. And then there's a loss to the current champion at flyweight, Alexa Grasso. So we can't really hold that one against her too much. She's had some solid efforts in defeat and it feels like she has just been constantly stuck and facing changes, cancellations, new opponents, shifts in timeline, all of these different things. I remember I talked to her probably a year and a half ago now before one of these fights, she had been in Vegas. She had been working at syndicate for a little bit. It was going to be her second full fight with John Wood in her corner and, and having worked with that crew. And she was so excited and the fight got canceled. 
And that's got to take a toll on somebody. Like she feels jinxed and snake bitten to me. And I feel for her because she hasn't really gotten a chance to show all the stuff she's been working on. This feels like an opportunity finally. And again, I'm knocking on wood again for her to get back in the wind column and show some of what she's been doing in the gym, some of what she can really do. Mandy Bohm hasn't been great since coming to the UFC, had a good run prior to getting here undefeated, but it hasn't looked great. This fight was canceled in February. Bohm had an illness a couple days before. I just hope they get to the octagon. I think it'll be an entertaining fight if they get there. And I hope they get there for G on Kim's sake. Next up, back to the welterweight division, Gabriel Green versus Brian Battle. And my question is, has Battle's kryptonite been discovered? So the tough 29 middleweight winner was wrestled to a decision loss by Rinat Fakhradinov last time out. And he just, he couldn't get up, right? Fakhradinov would take him down and Battle was just like, this is where I'm going to stay for the rest of this round. And that's going to be what everybody tries to do going forward. Like, understandably, not everyone is is Renat Fakhradinov in terms of their wrestling, obviously. But like, that's plan one now. That's that's plan A. We're going to come out and we're going to wrestle this guy because he can't seem doesn't seem to be able to stop a takedown. And if we put him on the ground, I think I can c- control him down here, do some damage, and away we go. And now it's on him to show that he's addressed the issues, that he has answers, that he has get-ups, that he can be attacking and offensive off his back. Because if not, this is going to go away real quick. And I was somebody coming off of season 29 where he won the middleweight competition where I thought Brian Battle is a guy that could maybe develop because he showed some raw materials and I liked some of the intangible things that we saw from him. He took some shots in a couple of these fights. He took some cuts and he rallied and he came back and he showed a little bit of that steeliness that is a just innate thing. You have it or you don't. Can't teach it. You can teach wrestling defense and somebody needs to have taught him wrestling defense. Because if they haven't, and if he hasn't been drilling this since that fight with Fakradinov, Gabriel Green's going to come across the cage and get in on a double and dump him to the ground and be like, cool, we're just going to hang out down here. There's no reason not to. It might make for a boring fight. It make, make, might make for a fight that people in Charlotte want to boo, especially because Brian Battle is from Charlotte. He is fighting at home. But like, we've seen this with countless athletes, right? You see the game plan. You see the blueprint. Everybody's going to fo- follow it. And it's incumbent on you to make them change. It's incumbent on you to show them that plan A isn't going to work. And I want to see if Brian Battle can do that. Saturday's opener, Jessica Rose Clark returns against newcomer Tynera Lisboa. My question is, what do we get from Lisboa in her debut? So over the last few years, we've gotten a lot of crossover competitors into the UFC from different, whether it's kickboxing, Muay Thai, the grappling world. And it's been really a mixed bag of results. We've had some very good, obviously, the middleweight division, last two champions, former kickboxers. We've had some not so good. And we've had some in between. It is what it is. The tendency to me, to my opinion, to my impression of it, is that we sort of oversell the accolades. We oversell a little bit of, oh, well, they were this. And we get a little bit too excited. And so Lisboa is 32. She's a former Muay Thai champion. 
though I don't know where and I don't know the level because I don't know. I personally don't know the tiers of Muay Thai success. I know that she fought Valentina Shevchenko way back in the day and lost. So that means something maybe. But she's five and two overall in MMA and she's never beaten anyone with a winning record. In fact, the people that she's beaten overall, their combined record, one and five, not great. And just a combined one and one after, which is also not great. And I mentioned the after number because to me, that's almost more important than the before or at the time of fighting, right? Because to me, that says, are you fighting people that are just also in the early days of their career and they go on to have some success? Or are you fighting weekend warriors that this was their debut and they thought they wanted to be a fighter and it turns out they were wrong. And in Lisboa's case, it's a lot of the latter. It's a lot of people that were like, yeah, I'd like to fight. Nah, I don't want to fight anymore. I'm going to go back to school. I'm going to go be an accountant. I'm going to go be a waitress, a bartender, whatever. I'm not going to be a professional fighter. I ain't about this life, which I understand. Not not judging in the least, not about this life either. I'm going to be a content creator. This fight with Jesse Jess is a good measuring stick, right? Jess is 33. She's experienced. She's game. She's made some mistakes in her last couple fights. She got into grappling situations against better grapplers and got submitted against Steph Egger and Yulia Stolyarenko last time out. She's coming off an elbow injury. She's had some injuries over the last few years. I believe a knee as well. But this is also a spot where, okay, you're the veteran. You're the one that's been in there. You're the one with experience. And I should note, one of Lisboa's losses is to Norma Dumont, who is having some success in the UFC, but also still somewhat limited. So if you're Jesse Jess, this is your chance to come back, go out and say, look, I know you're the new kid here and everybody's excited, but I've been here a little bit and you got to get through me. And I just want to see if she can do it. I'm interested, right? Because we get, as I said, we get these crossovers and I never know what to make of them, especially when it's not somebody that has been competing high profile elsewhere. It's one thing to have a Brazilian jiu-jitsu world champion or a glory kickboxing champion come over, sign up. Everybody that I respect that covers those beats, that knows those worlds can tell me the true value and validity of these people's records and accolades and skills. I ain't got a Muay Thai guy. I don't have a Muay Thai person that can tell me what to expect from Tainara Lisboa. So I'm going to tune in on Saturday and find out. 8.30, probably get in the cage about 8.45, cup of coffee, maybe a donut from Hive down the street. That's a great Saturday to me. Looking forward to it. I hope you are as well. I hope you've enjoyed this. Before we get out of here, QR code up here. Scan that. It will take you to the Keyboard Kimura Substack. Please sign up, subscribe. You can sign up for free to get all the free content. You can sign up for $5 a month or you can sign up for 50 bucks a year. There will be some paywalled content coming. I'm trying to decide what stuff I'm going to put behind there. I think it's going to be some of the Monday podcasts of that nature and probably a little bit more of the supplemental content that I'm going to start creating as I get back in the rhythm of things here. So rewatches and judging and features and things like that. The other one up here, well, up here, go check out the boys at One Bone, at One Bone Brand on Instagram, on Twitter, onebonebrand.com rocking it as always 
fantastic company that makes fantastic gear. It really is the only stuff I wear. I wouldn't be out here advocating for them. This isn't paid. I'm not out here advocating for them because they've asked me to. I'm out here advocating for them because I believe in what they do. I love their stuff. They are great dudes. I'm fortunate to be building a relationship with them. And I want everybody possible that is looking for gear to be comfortable, to fit right, that wears well, that holds up really well through the wash, all of those things, go check them out. If you do, ESK20 at checkout for a 20% discount. That is my initials, ESK and the number 20. Tell them I sent you. They will be happy to see you. I will be happy that you get fantastic gear to wear going forward. That's it for the show. Back tomorrow with 10 things. Friday with the double dip. Saturday on the newsletter with about last night or about Saturday's action. And then we're right back into it. I'm happy to be here, man. I'm, I'm, I'm pumped to be back. I want to give a shout out to my guy, Scroobius Pip, who sent me a lovely message this morning, uh, welcoming me back, saying it's been a great first week. Thank you, Pip. I am happy to be back. It has felt good. That message meant a lot to me. Thank you to everybody that downloads, that subscribes, that listens, that watches. You mean the world to me. Hope we're, hope we're enjoying it and we're going to keep getting better going forward. Enjoy the rest of your day. Love you. Talk to you soon.